Hello, I'm Jesse Hansen, and this is the Humankind Podcast. This is a show about humanity, where we hear from people from every stage and walk of life, where we get a chance to tap into raw, real, and open conversations about what it means to be human and how knowing that might help us all be just a little more kind. Thank you so much, everyone, tuning in to the Humankind Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Hansen, and I am elated to have one of the sweetest, most kind, compassionate, and driven people I have ever met on the show today, not to mention extremely talented and accomplished. Her name is Chase Masterson, and while she's best known, especially to self professed uh, massive nerds like myself as the stunning actress who played the Bajoran girl Lita on Star Trek Deep Space Nine for five years. I'm embarrassing her, I can tell. Um, she's also played countless other roles in film and TV on shows like ER, General Hospital, or Robin Hood Men in Tights, and so much more. She's also a singer, voice actor, producer, and an incredible nonprofit founder. Um, I had the gift of meeting Chase many years ago, and I feel so lucky to have remained friends all this time. And as I learn more about her and her life, I am just continually awed by her inner strength and fortitude and her huge heart. So Chase, thank you so much for joining us today. I am thrilled to continue learning more about your amazing life and experiences. And I would love to kick things off by um, just learning more about you, where you're from, how you got started on your amazing path. Jesse, thank you so much for all of that. I, I, I'm, I'm a puddle here. <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm really grateful for this time with you. Thank you. Oh my goodness, the feeling is is so mutual. I'm. I thank feel you. like I'm fangirling over here. Back at you. <laughs> I'm gonna just take that little clip and put it on my bathroom mirror or something. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> So yes, I'd so, love to learn more about you. Where you. you're well, where everything got started and how it how it went. Thank you. Um in terms of being humankind, my journey has been quite a long one. And um I would say really dashed and fettered and mixed along the way. Um I grew up in the theater and my mom was a theater director and a uh a, a, a theater actress, and I started working then when I was uh, very little, five years old, and I was always impacted by the power of storytelling to change lives and to impact us in in the most quiet but most profound, powerful ways. And uh, my both my parents were very involved in nonprofit work and and do gooding. Um, having their own challenges, though, you know, and so life has always been a mix of of those two things, which I'm grateful to be a part of now. You know, we have a saying, I'm just riffing here, okay, but we have a saying that says, uh, that goes, hurt people hurt people, and healed people heal people. And I look back upon my own journey and I can see how it has ebbed and flowed by being hurt, by hurting other people, and how those choices, all of those things, and how we process what happens to us informs our lives and informs the next small decisions, and the small decisions inform the big decisions. And so I can see how 
you know, it, it, it is partly what has happened in my life, but partly very largely how I've handled what has happened in my life that has made the hugest difference. Um, I guess that's kind of an overview that I could give you. Um, I've been on both sides of all of it. And, and it really is interesting to see it from that perspective and to know that, you know, just in, in terms of human kindness, not to give the summary right up front, but, you know, it, it really is such an interesting way to look at the world, to see how all of us are formed by our past experiences. And that if I get to see that and see how that has formed my ability to be uh, good and bad, positive and negative, then other people have that too. And they, you know, we, we can all be a little more compassionate toward each other's. Absolutely. Foibles, you know, definitely. Oh, that's beautiful. And well, I didn't actually know that your mom was a, you said a theater director. Yeah. Yeah. I she had was, no idea. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We never had a talk about our our early upbringings or anything. I would love to do that sometime. But in some ways, I say, you know, I grew up in the theater since I was five years old. One of my first memories is my audition for Oklahoma, where I played child, which is where you're from, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Did you know at five or at a young age that that you wanted to pursue that fascination that you had with storytelling and and how it was, um, it helped connect. Did you know that you wanted to, to take that on in your own life? I think I, I, I didn't know enough at five to know that every person will have a life path and what will my job be someday. I didn't really think in terms of that, but I remember how profoundly it affected me. And I think the thing that affected me most was the community, you know, the piggyback rides around the theater and the, all of us singing together and, and the joy of that. And that's still my favorite part of this. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people land in Los Angeles, not so much in the theater, but I think a lot of people come to L.A., you know, going west to live the dream and be successful and be famous. And everyone has to admit that we all have a part of us that wants the acclaim and the validation for doing what we do for whatever reasons. Um, but but I'd say really the 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 joy of it isn't in any of those things. The joy of it is in the shared understandings and the community and the relationships you make along the way. Is there a particular role that you feel is like your biggest calling um, or a character that you've played or both? Like really interested in, in what your favorites have been, what maybe the most rewarding parts of it have been for you. Thank you. Um, I honestly cherish my time in the musical theater so deeply. Um, it, it was just so wonderful. And when I think of, gosh, I'd love to do something again, just for the thrill of it, the fun of it. I, I, I really loved that. I did some wonderful musicals when I was in school and, and growing up. Uh, it did I'm grateful to have done leads and fantastic, uh, fantastics and cabaret and, um, anything goes and things like that, that are just joyous, you know, 
Um, I'm also, I'm extremely grateful for Star Trek. And I often think, you know, gosh, I could have been on Miami Vice or something. I don't know. And I'm grateful that this is the show that I, that I got to be, um, part of a, part of the legacy of Star Trek has always been known for having powerful messages. Roddenberry called them episodes. He called them morality plays. And, Whereas, you know, you never want to hit anybody over the head with stuff. You cherish and relish the idea of a show being more than just a television show. And and Trek is, as I've seen it, truly a, a way of life for a lot of fans who take that message of Roddenberry's message of infinite diversity and infinite combinations and the messages of you know, the prime directive where we don't interfere with other ways of life. Everyone gets to be who they are, who they want to be from individuals to societies. And where, like Kirk said, you know, in, in the famous episode that Harlan Ellison wrote, um, let me help a hundred years from now, it, it won't even be people so much saying, I love you, but but those will be the three words that matter. And as I see society unfolding, you know, particularly in COVID, when for for once, the first time, humanity recognizes that we're all in sharing one experience. Mm-hmm. I think we're all sharing a lot of experiences, but we we don't always recognize that everyone is. And there's at least one thing it happens to be a medical problem but there's at least one thing that we all know that everyone on the planet can relate to and hopefully we can open it up from there and see that there are many things that we all share i i remember watching and loving the ethos um and i'm a big star wars fan but what i loved when i was then exposed to star trek was it felt less sort of wild west and more like what we could be like what we could be moving towards. And I loved that women had, had strong roles in so many Mm. of the stories in a way that you didn't see in other television shows or parts of Hollywood. Um, And I wonder one, like from the actress perspective of, of coming up in Hollywood, was it difficult as a woman? What were the additional challenges? You know, what advice might you give women or girls that want to pursue a similar path? And then on the other side, I'd be interested if Star Trek kind of, because that ethos was in the storytelling, did it also, um, was it part of the ethos of the cast and crew and sort of the making of? Mm. There's so much there. Yes. Um, for women and girls who are interested in following, doing this profession, I would say, and I always say, first, your, your, your desires and your gifts and your talents are there for a reason. And I encourage everyone to hone them into skill. The more you learn, the more joy there is in it. And there's a lot to learn about being a solid actor. Um, it's also so important to really know who you are, to really become who you are and to really step fully into that. And I think so many actors in the service of working as an actor, because that can take so much time and so much focus 
I think a lot of young actors forget that really is just about living life authentically and the camera happens to be on. And it, it, not because you'll be a finer actor, but because you'll be a a finer person, because you'll be a fuller person to really explore all that you can make available to yourself, travel and different types of culture and food and different ranges of how the world works and different ways of life that might be half an hour from your house, you know? I mean, I've, I felt when I started working, uh, volunteering at Homeboy Industries in 2008, I, I started teaching a class there. And since then, I felt more, as they say, comfortable in my own skin than, than I ever felt before, despite having quite a, quite a solid range of experience in my life before that. And I think it was because I was really able to immerse myself in other people's lives and have a true solid kinship with them and living in empathy as a way of life with every breath of, you know, just uh, knowing it's not about us is such a hugely important part of life. And, and, and it's important, it's important in and of itself um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Albert Schweitzer. I was thinking about it this morning. Um, it says, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found out how to serve. And Jesse, I'm sure you know that quote. You live your life by it. Um, but it's it's both. It's seeking and finding out how to serve and what is possible. And that is where life is that's what I would say to people wanting to do this profession. And if you do that, then you meet a few people and, and you'll have a beautiful career <laughs> of one kind or another. And if it doesn't end up being in acting, it'll be in something else that you care about. You know, uh, um, a byproduct will be that you are a better actor, but that's not why to do it. It's not about that. You, you've tapped into how can we use our voices in this fascination with sci-fi, with fantasy, with superheroes, and you have funneled it into creating a, an incredible nonprofit that does work to support young people. Um, can you share more about what, I mean, Homeboy Industry is amazing, but I love that you then follow that path of like, how can I start even potentially younger at, at helping, you know, the next generation? So anyway, I'd love if you could share not only what the organization does and, and what inspired you to start it, but how people listening can support your organization. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. So um, Pop Culture Hero Coalition is the organization that I founded in 2013 with author Carrie Goldman. And I'll, I'll give you her story in a minute because it's wonderful. But it came out of my working at Homeboy and almost to a one, I would ask the homies what they, and we, we call each other that, it's okay, I'm not appropriating it. <laughs> Um, I'd ask them, what got you started in this life of pain? I never asked them why they landed in prison or what they did or what they're even doing now, really. It was more about what 
you know, what are, what's your background? What's going on in there? And every single one of them told me, including, um, a man named Vance, who was the head of the Crips, both outside and then inside Folsom State Prison. And you got to earn that. He told me that he got started in gang work because he was bullied on the playground. And he and his friends were bullied and they got confronted by this. Uh, 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 yeah, they, they were bullied and then they formed a little gang to keep up with the bullies and they grew and they grew and everyone grew and got worse and worse. And he got absorbed into the Crips. And I started thinking about the nature of oppression and that it really is the same dynamic, whether it's on the playground or in junior high school, in high school, in relationships, in the workplace, in terrorism or war. It's all the same dynamic. It's all oppression that doesn't belong in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so I was working with these kids who were basically bullied into a lot of it's, you know, join us or we'll kill you. And um, I started thinking about all of that. On the, what can we do to solve, to solve this societally? And that was during the weekdays. And on the weekends, I would go to Comic-Con. And I would see people celebrating billion-dollar properties, hundreds of thousands of people showing up to celebrate what? Heroism. To celebrate being the good guys, to celebrate the fact that the good guys triumph over oppression, the good guys triumph over uh, their own internal monsters, loneliness, anxiety, depression, fears, shame, self-doubt. The good guys win, and we can be those good guys. And I, I started realizing that we love those stories because they speak to our hearts and they encourage us to be heroes in our own ways. Well, about that time, I heard about a little girl named Katie who was bullied for loving Star Wars. And I'm sorry if this is redundant. I talk about this in my TED Talk. Um, but uh, she was bullied for loving Star Wars. And all the little boys in school would follow her around and say, you can't like Star Wars. You're a girl. Well, Katie went home and she cried. And she said, "You, Mom, I don't want to like Star Wars anymore. I just want to take my pink lunchbox. And her mom said, Katie, you get to be who you are. And, but Katie was very upset. So Carrie put on her blog. She has a very well-read blog. If anybody out there is a female who is a fan of Star Wars or science or science fiction or anything, you know, outside the bounds of old-fashioned gender, would you say a few words to encourage my daughter? And hundreds and Hundreds of people responded. Thousands of people saw this. The post went viral. I was one of those people. And um, so Car Carrie and I started uh, talking. She decided to write a book. She interviewed me for her book. Uh, she uh, asked for people to uh, also be interviewed, actor friends of mine. So I put her in touch with Peter Mayhew. So now Peter, who, Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, is friends with Katie, you know. <laughs> That's Don't fuck with us. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, he was. God rest him. But this became a, a real passion of, of Carrie and, and mine. And we decided to, uh, she asked me to put her book into Comic-Con. I said, yes. And then I said, let's form a movement. Let's use these stories to make kids, uh, to let kids know that they can be heroes for themselves and for each other. And so um, the story went on from there. Um, we, uh, at the advice of a, a 
big psychologist from Yale, uh, head of Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. We formed a curriculum. It was uh, being created. We created it from early 2016 and finished in 2019, piloted it, and we were ready to put it out in schools in March 2019 when the world shut down. So now we can't work in either Comic-Cons or schools. So we pivoted and created the Heroic Journey at Home. And the Heroic Journey at Home is for kids and adults who have lockdown and also all the other issues that we all struggle with, you know? Um, kids and parents who need conflict resolution, kids and teens who need resilience, um, the difference between social isolation, uh, social distancing and social isolation. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be isolated. We can all continue to reach out in the best ways we can. The program is really multi-platform. And then the YMCA picked up our program and said that they would like us to be their mental health arm. So we're doing a pilot now And then a team from Harvard, which is the Digital Wellness Lab, said, can we get involved? So we're now partnered with the Digital Wellness Lab and YMCA to do an event, which will be March 25th. Um, It'll be a kickoff event for all of this called... I'm really rambling, aren't I? I hope this is okay. No, I love it. Thank you. And and I love people to learn how they can support you. So if they can be a part of this kickoff or anything, we should share this information for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you're one of the, I think you're the first person to actually know that because we just set the date yesterday. So (laughs) um, yes, please, Jesse. Yes. Um, It'll be March 25th and it'll be on Facebook live and it'll be called resilience, empathy, and healthy screen use, an honest conversation. And we're, going to be pointing people toward tools that they can use for them, their mental health uh, free of charge and really destigmatizing mental health. Anybody who's feeling loneliness, fear, depression, anxiety, I'd be surprised, you know, if everyone weren't, if we're honest. And like Kirk said, let me help. I love that. And I, I mean, I was just listening to NPR yesterday and they were talking about how not only is there the, the death toll from COVID, but there is an additional death toll from deaths of despair because people are feeling isolated. They are feeling lonely now more than ever. And it's very important to kind of help people tap into you're not alone. You're still connected. You're still loved. You still have worth and value in the world. Yes. I care about you. And I love that you're such a huge part of, of especially helping young people who maybe haven't developed the, the fortitude and, and the self-confidence and comfort in their own skin to know that as well as not all adults do, but I feel like I'm grateful that I've had friends and mentors who have helped me have some center and balance. But when you're young, you don't always have that grounding. Um, So it's amazing that you are um, helping young people see that. And if people want to contribute to your organization, what would they be helping to support? Thank you. Well, right now we're putting together more programs for kids and teens and parents at home. So we're expanding our at-home curriculum, which is available free of charge on our site. It's at popculturehero.org. You can also go to superheroirl.org. And that's our social media tag on all platforms. And 
people's donations go to that. We have no paid staff. Um, all my work has been volunteer since 2013. I'm grateful that I've been able to do that maybe for a little while longer. Um, but uh, we put all our money into programs and we hire psychologists who are pop culture fluent, who can use these stories to create exercises and lesson plans. And really it's all about the tools. You know, you, as I said in, earlier on today with you, it, it's partly about what happens to us in our lives. And it's also largely about how we handle it. And we all handle it the best we can, but tools are what really helps. And when you know the tools of mindfulness and other things that we can use to navigate our own emotional lives and choices, it, it makes all the difference. So we want to give that to, to kids and that's what you'll be supporting kids for, for children, teens, and parents. We have a whole video series for parents as well uh, that corresponds to the lessons their children and teens are using. So that's what you'll be supporting. We'd love that. Oh, we also have Be Kind merch. BeKindMerch.org is our merchandise site. And our programs have largely been created by people purchasing Be Kind t-shirts. $25 at a time. It's like crowdsourced empathy that has made this coalition what it is today because it's very hard to get educational or, or psychology grants unless you have been unless you're research-based. And so you can't build a program that's research-based without years of work. And how do you get the money to do that? Be Kind t-shirts. Amazing. So thank you. So go to BeKindMerch.org and, and anybody get yourself a, a Be Kind t-shirt. We have them in, in all sorts of styles. We have LGBTQIA plus shirts and lots of cool stuff, bags and swag, totes. It makes me so thrilled that enough people want to wear on, literally wear on their bodies, a message of being kind. Yes. Yes. Human. <laughs> that's kind. very, that's yes. very heartwarming to me. So thank you thank for, you. I'm so, and thank you to everyone who buys these shirts and I need to get one myself. Oh, um, we'll send you. I'm surprised I haven't already, Jess. I'm sorry, but yes, Oh my goodness. I'm happy to purchase one and support your amazing work. Um, and you made me think of two things. One is what you were saying, just being the nerd girl that I am, it brought a Gandalf quote to mind, which is the one about um, we we don't get to choose the time that we are given, but we get to choose what we do with it, um, which yeah. is so in line with this message that you're sharing. Um, as well as you mentioned earlier, your TED Talk, which everyone needs to watch if they have not. Um, you gave that not too long before all of this lockdown happened. Um, and it is a starkly vulnerable TED Talk. I mean, I was in tears at parts of it. I am still aghast that you even had to live through the life experience that you did. Um, and to me, it it just reemphasized to me, and I, I don't think you give yourself this credit, you're, you're a very incredibly humble person for as strong as you are. Um, but it, it drove home for me that you are a superhero IRL um, to have dealt with, I mean, to use, to use a comic book term villainy in, in such a way and to have fought it bravely and, and truly, and have come out, um, you know, as kind and, and generous and compassionate of a person as you are. I wonder, because I'm talking about something people listening may not know what happened. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what you shared in your Ted talk? 
I, it was such a, a grueling experience uh, to, to go through this experience and also to live it. And I, I have to admit that it wasn't, and I'm sorry, to go through this experience and also to talk about it at TED. Um, very triggering. I was one of the first people doxxed. And what happened was I worked very closely with my fan club from Star Trek who supported caring for babies with AIDS, which was a large, uh, not large yet, but a, a growing organization, a house where children with AIDS lived because they didn't have anyone else. And through the course of several years, my fan club was their largest private contributor and we helped them build a new house for these kids. And this was all during the run of Deep Space Nine. And I had a few people, very few, like three, who I gave my personal information to because they were so closely working with me on this work. And one of them was a fan uh, in Germany who, uh, uh, you know, we would do auctions and raffles and events and things like that. And and uh, this fan took some pictures at a, 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 a gathering we had in, in Germany. And I said, here, send me the pictures. And that was before the internet. And so uh, it was like 1994. And he decided he wasn't getting as much out of his fan club membership as he wanted. And so he began to pester me. And when I refused his efforts, he listed me on an international dating service without my knowledge or consent. And he listed pictures of me and a list of my acting credits and disgusting sexual lies. And he also listed my home address, which I had given him to correspond with the pictures. And I, um, I subsequently received a death threat for my son and uh, threats to brutally stalk and, and rape me. And it was horrific. And um, the dating service matchmaker.com didn't take the profile down because they said they couldn't take it down for me because I wasn't the person who listed it. And I said, exactly. And they said, sorry. But they didn't have my credit card, my signature. They had absolutely nothing that would ensure that this profile was written by me, which it wasn't. So um, I filed a lawsuit, which I lost because the judges said that public figures are not entitled to the same amount of privacy with respect to defamation as our private figures. And they, uh, privacy or, or defamation, it's all, it was all rolled into one. And they cited things like, well, there's Map to Stars homes. And we said, well, you know, those are big homes with security and cameras. And, you know, at the time I didn't have anything like that. And I, I still don't, <laughs> but I'm just saying I was not that type of actor. If I, if I were a bigger actor, like if Julia Roberts, they said, here's where she lives and here's what, you know, here's disgusting sexual lies about her. Of course they wouldn't stand for that, but I was too small to really care about, but I was still a public figure. So I lost, I lost the lawsuits and they, uh, matchmaker sued me for my legal fees and won. Appalling. Thank you. It is. And what's appalling is that that is the precedent. That's where it stands. So it, it, it actually set a precedent that they talk about in law schools. So I was at a period of my life where not only did I have nothing because I spent everything I had on this lawsuit, I, I lost all faith in humankind. I 
was eaten up on the inside. I was drinking badly. It was too hard to stay awake. And I just thought, what a horrible place this world is and how can I live in it? And I didn't want to, but I didn't have the courage or really the desire to leave. I was really at my lowest of my low. And I broke out of it by stopping drinking. And I, I used that to really connect with the homeboys because, you know, we all do things that will cause ourselves to duck out, you know, but things like that, drinking drugs, those are little suicides. They, they kill our minds and hearts temporarily by saying, you know, no, I can't, I can't do this. I'm checking out. I'm done. But when you learn radical acceptance, you learn, yes, I can. You can say to yourself, I don't have to do that. I can stay present and I can accept life on life's terms. And it's not easy. It's grueling, grueling lessons that I learned from that. But I also learned that I can get through this and I can use what I've learned to form empathy instead of hate and to form strength and pass that along to other people. And that's what makes the world work, you know? Wow. I mean, I feel so bad even asking you to relive it for this brief, um, you know, few minutes of explaining it, but thank you for doing that because it, it's painful to listen to. It's painful. I was not there. You and I didn't know each other and I am full of anger and, um, frustration at the, the legal decisions that were made. And just like, I mean, a guest, I feel like does not capture the, the extremity of the feeling that I have towards this person and, and their decisions that they made. Um, I do not know how you were able to be so resilient in the face of that and how you were able to move forward so beautifully. I think what you described of stopping drinking, and actually that's helpful probably for a lot of people now that, that are dealing, coping with COVID, coping with political instability, yeah. coping with a lot of things in our lives, a lot of loss, um, pain, injustice, racial injustice in our world right now. Um, yeah. It's beautiful to hear that you tapped into something inside of yourself that said, we can go on. Like it will be painful. All of this pain is real. Like we're not going to sugarcoat it and pretend it isn't there, sweep it under a rug, but we're going to accept it. I love the phrase radical acceptance. And we're going to trust that we are strong enough, that we are stronger than anything that can come our way. Um, yeah. How do you stay so resilient? I, it's hard for me to fathom moving forward from that situation, but you have, and not only have you moved forward, but you've moved forward and you are, you are addressing the issue. I mean, I loved what you said earlier about hurt people, hurt people and heal people, heal people. I have a hard time tapping into my empathy for this person that put you through this um, situation or for the people on the other legal teams that, that, you know, supported that, um, person, but, your radical empathy has made me go, well, that I, I don't know what that person's story is and what all their stories are and how hurt they are that would possibly make someone act out in the, in the way that he did um, and put someone through that. Uh, and so it's just amazing to me how empathetic you are. And I don't know if you, if there's some, you know, guidance that you can share about how to be so amazingly resilient. 
Thank you. Well, it, you know, thank you, Jesse. It, I think it helps to realize that what we focus on, even ter- in terms of neuroscience, it, what we focus on becomes part of our, our being. And it, I don't know the whole neuroscience of it, but the dendrites, they, they ab- absorb our negative thoughts, our positive thoughts. So one thing I have to do is I just have to go, you know what? Not today. I'm just not going to. That is either for another time, which it may be, but if I am not feeling up to it and if I'm feeling like hate and pain and anger take over me, not today. I'm not going to let that steal my day and my heart and my mind and make me incapable of being who I can be to myself and to the world. So I have a lot of not todays. Um, you know, when when people hurt us on various levels, this is kind of an example. Um, I hope this is okay to say on your podcast, but it's kind of like you know, when people hurt you, it's kind of like if someone says to you, here's a piece of shit and do you have to take it? No. Just because they give it to you doesn't mean you have to take it. Doesn't mean you have to have it on you or ingest it. You know, I mean, it's not yours. It has nothing to do with you. Just the fact that this person came up with this is not yours. You have to navigate it as we have to navigate all sorts of horrible, stinky things. But we don't have to let them become part of our being. And for a long time, I felt with a lot of pain and rejection and people, things that, that hurt. I, I felt invalidated. I felt incredibly like this is all I'm worth. And you have to realize, no, their voices are not your own. Their voices are not true. Their voices are not what you need to live your life by. That you are a being of incredible worth and value and you're cherishable. And we all make mistakes like the superheroes we see on the screen, we are vulnerable, like any hero, we are, are vulnerable to our own monsters and external, external monsters, and we don't always make the right choices, but you are cherishable. And there are people who will know that. And so you just have to go, you know what? Mm-mm. I'm going to live in what is positive and good for me. And we tend to look at these things in big sweeping terms, like like how can you deal with this or that? And I, I don't know how I've dealt with other things either. Just like you probably don't know how you've dealt with very difficult things of yours. But the reality is we deal with them one second at a time. And just by making the next right step, we can get through things. You don't have to know three steps down the road. This is what I taught at Homeboy. You don't have to have your whole life figured out or know anything more than I have two choices or more. What's the best one? And do that one. And then do that one. And and then that will flow into a journey. Sometimes you can see further ahead, but if you can't, just make the next right choice. And that choice can be resilience. I love that. You made me think of two things there. One is that I I remember a conversation, I think it was maybe between Oprah and Maya Angelou. If I remember correctly, I was very young when I heard it, but one of them said, no one can hurt you without your permission or something like that, where it was really, it's kind of your idea of someone handing you shit. And then, but, but you don't have to, just because they want to give it to you, doesn't mean you have to do it. You don't got to eat it. 
Exactly. <laughs> and that was so powerful for me to go, oh, I have a say in this too. I have power over the decision of what I will say or do in this moment. I think of this often um, in, in thinking of how you and other strong people in my world have, have managed these really difficult situations. And it helps me as well when I'm feeling so overwhelmed and it really comes down to what you just said, like the next right step to me, I just can literally look, you know, this, this hypothetical, like, how am I ever going to overcome this mountain or how am I ever going to reach that far away goal? And I really do have to break it down to the, just put the one foot in front of the other. Just, can you pick up the foot? That's all I'm asking you to do right now. And then set it down. And then when you have enough, do you do it with the other foot and you just keep going and eventually you make it over that mountain or you make it as far, but sometimes you really do have to focus back on just, just make that one step. And that's all you have to do. This is my favorite interview I've ever done. It really, thank you for your heart and for the heartfulness of your questions. Well, as someone who is very new to interviewing, that means the world to me, especially coming from you, who I know has done a million interviews in your life. Well, I don't mean it like that. No, I do. that way. I'm so grateful um, as always. And, and yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for our friendship too. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please, please rate, review, share it with your friends. You can also follow us on social media or check out the website at thehumankindproject.net for more. I also want to take a moment to give a special shout out to Chris Chant for making the music for the show, Adam Farmer for creating the logo and artwork, and Greg Benson for being our tireless, amazing audio editor. They are all doing this as a labor of love, and I cannot thank them enough. Thank you all so much for tuning in today and for everything you do every day to make the world more human and more kind. Take care.